everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. I'm Brooks Forsyth, filling in for Chuck today. And on our panel, we have Petra Manos. Hey, how you going? Brad Large. How's it going, everybody? Joel Schubert. Hey, everybody. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call to help me find a developer who can build it. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile developers that you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to g2i.co to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i has linked me up with experienced engineers that can fit my budget. And the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to g2i.co to learn more about G2i. And uh, today our guest is uh, actually our panelist as well, Petra. Um, why don't you introduce the topic that's uh, on your mind you, you wanted to discuss for today's show? Alrighty. Well, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. So I drew a little doodle and sent it out to everyone. And basically what I've been contemplating is how when we start out in freelancing, we're usually still in employee mode. And so we might have a small handful of clients. Um, some of us are doing contracting or staff augmentation type jobs. So we've got a high number of um, dollars per client, I guess revenue per client, um, but a small number of clients. And most of our labor time is spent on implementation um, the implementation for our clients, that is. But there's a lot of advice out there, especially for freelancers on this show and in other places, to move to a more productized type model where you are not paid for your time. Instead, you're paid for um, the output that you deliver to clients. And there's also a pressure to get more clients. So, and, and this makes sense because it reduces risk to have more clients. You don't have a situation where one could just suddenly get rid of you. Um, but as you get more clients, you, and, and the more you go for a more productized type model, you are giving less implementation time to each client, um, resulting in a smaller kind of revenue per client, you end up with more clients that are worth less money. And also your labor moves away from implementation into your own marketing. And so there's a shift where you're still spending just as much time, if not more in the business, but that time that you're spending is on your own marketing instead of implementation for other people. And um, as the number of clients go up, your revenue in the short term might um, be stable or it might even potentially go down depending on how comfortable you are with your marketing. There's also a, um, I'm calling it the messy middle, but there's a period in the middle where you're trying to transition from that employee mode or early freelancer mode where you're working with few clients to working with a lot more clients you're trying to get your marketing sorted out. And while you're doing that, you're investing time and money into trying to get that marketing and operations piece working. And that actually squeezes your profit. 
because you're spending money on unproven marketing assets, unproven methodologies. You might be investing in courses. Um, you might not be getting realizing a return from that yet. So there's this period in the middle where your profit is squeezed. And for many freelance businesses, I would think that's a really tough time to go through because we don't know when we're going to get to the other end. We don't know if we're traversing the right path through that, um, you know, going from one to the other. And we don't even know if what we're doing is what's going to make us happy, I guess, because when we were doing the implementation, we were happy with that. That's part of what made us start the business in the first place. And then when we move into a model that involves us spending more time on marketing, uh, there's almost a paradigmatic shift in that, that we now need to identify ourselves differently as a business owner when we're focusing more on marketing and, and, and how that feels for us as a person. So a lot of freelancers, I think, don't make a transition from the small number of clients to a larger number of clients that don't move into a productized model. And a lot of freelancers, I'd say, want to, but they just get stuck in the middle. And I'm really interested in having a discussion with everyone about that and how they have found that journey, whether they have started that journey, they've managed to get through to the other side, whether they got stuck in the middle, whether they've had to go backwards or forwards or like where everyone's at. I'm really interested in that conversation. So yeah, yeah I think that's yeah. I think that's fantastic. And one thing that I think that I'm I'm really glad that you called this out, but the amount of time spent on marketing when you're doing this, uh, you know, I'd like to spend some time sometime today talking about that, but your, your marketing efforts are going to have to go up, right? Um, kind of like you explained, when you have a lot of uh, clients, then you're, you're kind of churning through them and it's almost expected if you have like a, a high number of clients. Whereas if you're freelancing full time, you know, your marketing efforts, you know, especially as a developer, I've found that it's fairly I don't want to say easy. Easy is not the right word, but it's common to find contracts, you know, and you kind of just have to keep your network in line and reach out to people. And then you get like a, you know, three to six month contract or, uh, you know, there are different ways to get different work. So I know a lot of freelancers that do that. And so their marketing effort is really just reaching out to their warm network. And then they're the people that they know that pat, like feed them work and contracts. Right. So that's kind of a, a steady flow. And I feel like, uh, once you move away from that, you, you, in that model, you know, I think it's important to call out that you're finding those leads and people are making money on those contracts as well. You're basically part of your transition point in this is taking over that marketing that other people are doing for your skill sets and the people that they know in their network. You're kind of owning that marketing and making more money for it, right? As well as adding additional value. So say if you want to add more value to a contract or get paid a lot more and kind of divorce your time from money, then that transition happens where it's like, okay, well now all of a sudden you have to bill in that marketing project management, uh, you know, maybe managerial or administrative tasks that are in addition to what you used to have to do. You have to build all that into your fee structure. And that can be hard to quantify those things up front, first off. And two, if you're not prepared for that onslaught of additional activity, then 
it can be overwhelming, right? Then you just look at it and you're like, like you said, you're, you're not, not even happy with your decision to do it because now you're doing a lot of things that you were happy not to do before, right? So I think there, there are uh, quite a few things that lead to that kind of squish in the middle where, you know, you do have to spend more time and it seems like you're not making as much money, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in my case, I started out right from the word go trying to do a productized model. And I know you've described the same as well, Brad. And so, so that marketing was part of my thinking right from the beginning. Um, now, I came out of a corporate career as a software developer in the defense industry, which was, you know, relatively good pay, really. And I still feel a bit embarrassed about it. But after three years, my revenue is exceeding what I was earning in that job, but my net profit isn't. And, you know, I think that's actually not unnormal. Like, that's not really a word, but that's not, I'm sure I'm not the only person in that boat. But it, it, it embarrasses me because I like to think that I could have done better than that. But I invest a lot into my marketing and my operations. And when I look at it, um, like when I look at it, it I'm, I'm basically able to bring in net profit of half of my revenue because of all that investment I'm making everywhere else. And I, I kind of figured that, look, it's going to come back to me at some point. It will benefit me in the long run. But in the short run, that's really scary because you don't know if you're making the right decisions and you, it, it, it feels like um, you're just trying things out. So was there a time at the start when you were just doing work as a contractor and you weren't really doing any marketing? Were you actually making more or did you start doing your marketing right from the very beginning? Oh, in this business I did. Um, look, I have worked as a contractor previously, but that was when I was an... So I was an employee and I had an employee mentality and I just wanted to quit that job and get a different one. So I got a contract because it was paying a good hourly rate, you know, and it was going to make me more money. <laughs> but um, that, that was more from an employee mindset rather than from a self-employed mindset. Whereas the purpose of this business had a very different end outcome and also Working for a big defense company is quite different compared to working, having clientele that are smaller businesses. So I didn't really know what to expect coming into a business, but certainly with, the, with a small business clientele, they haven't got bottomless pits of cash. So they need to be careful with what they spend on and also they want to make sure they're getting a return on investment for whatever they spend. So you need to really prove your value. And even though you can have all these lofty ideas in terms of what value you can provide and you can sell that, certainly there still comes a limit when you've got clientele that can't afford to pay a full salary worth of um, revenue for you. You still need to go out and find others. So depending on how much revenue you can get from any individual client doing what you're doing, you do need to seek out a model where you have multiple clients um, unless you are doing that staff augmentation type contracting. 
simply because any one client isn't going to be enough to pay the bills. Um, certainly if you're doing software development, there's a lot of staff augmentation options out there, but again, we've talked about that. There's, there's risk. And also you might just be dissatisfied with working with a one or that's not your vision. I'm just, I'm curious as to how many of us here, because one of the things that I implemented in my business from the start was uh, uh, what Kai Davis, I've heard him refer to it for this as, as this for a long time, but is a road mapping session. And Petra, I, you know, I looked at your course this past week and I know that you have like an intro uh, package where if you sign up for the course and you do like a, you know, like a deal, right. That's kind of like an onboarding kind of thing. Um, but I implemented a road mapping session and I, you know, I'm still fairly new to this. I actually had one client that he would pay me for hourly coaching sessions. And then we just, we kind of outgrew that. So I grew him to a point where he was like, okay, what do we do? We're, we're kind of past this whole coaching thing. What do we do next? And I said, well, let's do a road mapping and find out what you need done. And he was like, what? Well, we've been working together for a while. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a lot of detail here. I feel like, especially for developers, there's, you know, if you're, if you're trying to increase your value, then it's kind of, it's like another thing I heard uh, another consultant hero of mine, Jonathan Stark say that there's really like three levels. You've got the architect who gets paid to design. Then, you know, he gets paid a ton of money for the amount of work that he does. Right. Then you get the, the contractor who develops the thing, which would be like a developer implementation. And then you've got the maintenance guy who comes and changes the toilet paper later, right? And so where you're at in that spectrum determines how much you can charge for your time. Uh, an architect charges a lot more for their time than any of the other people. And the portion of time that they spend on is actually pretty low, right? So by doing that road mapping, you can kind of separate that out. Now my road mappings are a little bit more streamlined. And, uh, you know, I, it takes me only a few hours and I still charge the same amount because I have automated systems, right? So I'm curious, has anybody else, do, do you guys do anything like that? Like an onboarding package or I know Pia Silva also calls it like a, 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 a lead, uh, what does she call it? A lead product or something like that. Like a product that you lead with. Yeah. I've got a road mapping session as well. Um, that particular course that you're referring to had a, a set up as part of it, but normally I have a road mapping session. And so that's one of the things that I lead with when I first talk with a, a new prospect. Less Accounting provides a reliable, dedicated bookkeeper along with project manager to ensure that your business finances are crystal clear and up to date. How are your profits this month? How much are you making on the services or products sold? How much money is left over for yourself to invest back in your business? What's your debt situation like? Are your products selling? Do you have an emergency fund? Those kinds of questions are the things that Less Accounting software and team can answer anytime within minutes. You'll have a real human categorize your transactions. The software platform provides the ability to auto-import and auto-categorize transactions. You can create proposals and invoices in it, and they have 20-plus reports that you can use to figure out where you're at. So go check them out lessaccounting.com. Yeah, on my side, I've been doing a lot more of the staff augmentation, right? Every time I get one good client, you know, that, that takes up my time, right? Um, and then, uh, but that has its drawbacks, you know, coronavirus hits and the client cancels on you and then, then you're 
flailing, right? So um, there is definitely, uh, I, I definitely want to go to a more productized business, but I'm not there yet at all. Yeah, and I as well have been doing something kind of like staff augmentation, but I've been doing one person all stop shopping for very, very small businesses. And so they, uh, they, there's no way they could hire the different types of developers or operations people that they need. So if, if they're really that small, they need something built. And then after it's built, they can't just run it themselves. They can't possibly deploy it into AWS or you know, the Amazon cloud. They can't, put up, they can't put up monitoring. They can't check the security. And so um, basically I'm acting as their one-stop shopping for all that. Sometimes it's hourly, which kind of feels a little more like staff augmentation. And sometimes it's, it's a fixed price. But in this model that I'm doing, there's not really a lot of productization since I'll do whatever technologies they need. Sometimes I'm taking over something that has to be reworked. Sometimes it's from scratch. Um, So for me, the scaling issue in my situation much more came in with adding some other people and finding out, like you guys were talking about the marketing time and how much time that took, finding out about the management time and how those numbers worked out. So that was more where I kind of hit that pinch in the middle. Oh, I'm sure. I think you hit on something very important here too. I think that there are a lot of proponents for, uh, you know, getting off of hourly billing or, or doing productized services and all that. Assumption number one, by far and away, is that you are a specialist on something that you do, that you can or want to do something over and over again and get really, really good at that thing and then find ways to monetize it. That is the assumption. And it's kind of unstated in some people's, you know, uh, when the jargon they use, it's kind of unstated. Uh, Other people address it right up front um, and say, you know, if you think you're going to get bored, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you find out that, okay, so I'm not doing this wide breadth of things anymore, but it's specific. And I, I realize there's so much to learn about the specific thing and they address it that way. But at the core tenet of it is that if you're not willing to, to specialize, right, then this whole thing is much more difficult, if not falls apart. I don't want to go so far to say it won't work if you're not specialized, but oh my gosh, the amount of like you said, Joel, management and overhead for maintaining all those different systems would make me pull what hair I had out of my head. Okay. So, uh, I could, is that fair? Do you guys, do you, would you agree with that? That it really kind of depends on willingness to do that? I totally agree. But with the exception that as you go more and more towards that productized, uh, I'm not going to call it an ideal cause it's not ideal for a lot of people, but the theoretical bottle, I guess, of going more and more productized, as well as having the marketing labor, there is more management labor because even though you might be specialized in something and you might love to do that something, you yourself don't really get to do that something anymore because being the face of any business, that marketing needs your stamp on it you can't hand that marketing piece over and sorry to harp on about marketing it's the same with the management you can't hand over the 
implementation really or the marketing to someone else without having you take control of what the output is. So in terms of the, the, uh, the operations, you need to be in control of how it's going to be, maybe not always exactly how it's going to be done, but what is going to be done and what it's going to look like when it's finished. And in terms of the marketing, if you're doing videos, you need to be doing those videos. If you're podcasting, you, you need to be the one podcasting. And so you're talking about your passion, you're delivering things relating to your passion, but you're not necessarily doing it anymore. And as a specialist, that can be a bit hard because you, you had fun doing that. And so I know, for example, that I'm a specialist in, in uh, a small niche of things, but I'm having to train other people to do it maybe 70% as good as I would have done it instead of me doing it and I will be overviewing their work because otherwise there's no way that I can work with that many clients and do all that marketing and do it all myself. And um, I spoke with someone yesterday who was also specialised and she tried to work with lots of clients. She said she had this, she was actually ending her business because she said she had this vision of doing this work for all these people and then she realised she had to market it and do it at the same time and it was just too much. She couldn't. So she was just going to go back to what she knew and she was, was comfortable with, which was working with just the one business. And yeah, it's, it's really tricky trying to get to the point where you're spinning that many plates at once. Requires can, I ask you, uh, can I ask you a question about what, uh, so you, you, what I love about what I do is that I love implementing new solutions. Okay. I don't necessarily love doing the mundane stuff that I could automate or could push off. Um, definitely. I completely agree. That becomes overwhelming, but I think you've done a really good job of putting, you know, virtual assistants to use. And I mean, that was the first episode we did with you, I think was a virtual assistant episode, which was great. I mean, that just was eye opening for me because I am, horrible at that because I feel like I want to own everything. Right. And so I, I completely, uh, I feel where you're coming from on that, but do you love that stuff or do you love coming up with like newer projects and more value that you could give your potential clients? Yeah, I do. Look, I, I spend my time between marketing and R and D because I love the R and D. Yeah. Um, and operational management, I guess, like reviewing people's work, making sure that it's up to scratch, yada, yada. And then when there's something that's just so t technically complex that no one other than me can do it, I'm doing that as well because I'm not yeah. at the point, like I still consider myself a freelancer. I'm not at the point where I've hired a peer, right? You know, I've hired VAs. It's not the same as hiring a peer. So if right. there's something really complicated, I'll do that. But it kind of means I get to pick and choose the bits that I do. But I still, even though I've got a little bit of a team behind me, I look at my to-do list and it's got like people next to it. And it's like, this thing, me, this thing, me, this thing, me. <laughs> so I've still got yeah. lots of me next to it because there's so many things that only I can do. Like I can't, I had the situation with the coronavirus, right? 
I was like, do I, do I go back to just me? I wanted to keep my VA who's good at Google ads. And I'm like, right, what can I get her to do? All we can do now is marketing because we've lost so many clients. Uh, well, she can't do videos. She can't do podcasts. She can't do this. She can't do that. Okay. So we're going to have to go with a written medium marketing thing at the moment, just because that's something that they can do. And then I'm almost dictating my marketing based on what team member I've got, which isn't a good way of doing it at all. But, um, when, when, when you do need to have a lot of clients, the amount of yourself ends up being distributed to like this, this content marketing, for example, you're distributing yourself to all the many, many people that are wanting to learn about what it is that you're a specialist in. And so you're providing a lot of value when you aggregate it across all the different people, but it's disseminated. And then you can't then yourself also provide a lot of value to one person because you'll just be burnt out. Wait, I thought, I thought you were the freelancer that could do like everything on your to-do list every day. Aren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. At the end of every week, I put a date on it and I've still got things from January. Yeah, I think that's tough. So let me ask you this too. How much marketing did you do before the coronavirus? Because the coronavirus had a big impact on your business. So how much marketing were you doing before versus how much hands-on marketing are you doing now? All right. Well, what I would do is I would batch it because when I get busy, see, I have an implementation model. I don't do coaching. I'm doing analytics implementation so that means um, Google Tag Manager development and um, Data Studio template, Data Studio reports and Google Ads implementation. Google Ads in particular is particularly implementation heavy because it just keeps going forever. It, you, don't, you don't ever really turn around and say, hey, your advertising is 100% perfect. You're never going to make more money from any other configuration in your life. <laughs> it just, it, it, it's one of those things that keeps going. So it's very implementation heavy business. So what I would do when I was at capacity, I wouldn't do any marketing at all. And which isn't necessarily a good thing, but that was the way it was. And when I was in a period where I was looking for new clients, I would batch it. And then I'd set up an automated process that would distribute it more slowly so that it appeared that I was marketing when I wasn't. Um, the problem with that though, is when you need to have more personal touch points, such as, you know, it's that more prospecting side of things rather than marketing. So we're, we're talking about marketing, but unless you've got a business where people kind of drop into your lap, because of your marketing, they turn up and say, Hey, I'm your ideal client. Please pick me, pick me. I want to be your client. Unless you have those, there's a bit of sales work that goes on between having a lead and having a sale <laughs> as much as some of us don't want to admit it. And, um, you can't just suddenly stop doing that either. So, um, what I'd do find is that even if I'm batching my marketing, I'll still go through cold spells, I guess, where I go, oh, I, I need to work a bit more on my business development. And then I, I kind of crack into gear. 
Um, but then, you know, a referral might just pop out of nowhere and, and you're busy again. I don't know how others yeah. do it, whether they're flip-flopping or whether it's more of a all-the-time thing. Yeah, I like Brooks, you, you do a lot of contract staff hog stuff, right? Yeah, What's so that I, process look like for you? When I know that a contract is ending or, you know, I get that sense um, that we're, uh, you know, wrapping things up, right? Then I reach out to the couple, honestly, it's recruiters um, who have, I've worked with in the past and they usually bring the client, you know, to me, um, which has worked in the past well. Um, that's that's kind of how I've, how I've done it. I've won really good contact and he, um, he usually keeps me pretty busy till now, but, um, we're working on it. So, you know, that's, that's how I've been doing it, but it's still scary, right? Like having one client is, you know, not ideal. And, uh, it would be nice if I had one, uh, I, I guess my goal is to have one larger client and then to have some, products on the side that don't have a large implementation, whether that's just like courses or something like that, you know, something to supplement that um, along the way. How about you, Joel? Like what, what is your prospecting process look like? You know, most of mine so far has been word of mouth. Like literally uh, one of my clients was uh, had offices across the hallway from uh, my first client in a certain building that I was in. And uh, as well as I've got a friend who owns a consulting company, I'll help him out when he gets too busy. And so for me, for the most part, uh, by the time I'm done with something, I may have a couple things running. So it's rare that I have nothing going on. But when I do have nothing going on, usually by that time, a little break is fine for me. And so part of that is just, uh, you know, part of that's a little lifestyle thing where I generally spend a lot less than I make. So if I do have a break, it's more of an enjoyable thing for me. And then part of it is just uh, just when you're doing that staff augmentation stuff, you can actually get by with a lot less marketing. And so for me, the, the kind of the experience and scaling has been more on the back end of trying to add other people to help me out. And that's really kind of gone down that same route. I know like for one of the jobs, I brought in a guy who was just out of uh, boot camp school. And so I figured, well, probably those guys are usually stronger front end than back end and we'll uh, do some CSS and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I found out that, well, a 12 week, they're doing 12 weeks and they're calling it full stack. And so really there's only about a few days on any one topic. So yeah. you had maybe like five or 10 days tops of CSS. So what ended up happening on that one, I mean, just talk some real numbers there is it was a contract where let's just make up some numbers, but they'll be close to the realistic numbers. Like I was able to charge a hundred an hour for my services. And then for his, I could bill him at 35 and charge 25. Well, now the way the math works out on that is he seemed to be able to work about roughly three to five hours before he'd get stuck or I'd need to spend an hour either reviewing or helping him get unstuck. So the ratio was about one to every three to five. So if I'm charging 10 extra and what I'm giving the, the client is I'm making sure that this person who's fairly junior is going to actually perform at a higher level, not going to be stuck for long periods of time. And so the client gets really good value out of this. It turned out my value wasn't so great out of that because I can't charge that hour I'm helping him. So I'm giving up $100 for that hour 
And for the other three to five that he's unstuck, I'm making back maybe 30 to 50. Now, it turns out I enjoyed that. I actually enjoyed. And you need to do the client. You need to do the client acquisition to get more clients to feed your person too. Yeah, I mean, really, that's that's definitely part of it. But I found that just uh, I know Petra, you talked about you know QA and your people's work on the back end and stuff. And for me, kind of that QA and getting them unstuck, the the numbers did not work out for me to be more profitable. But I found it more enjoyable where I had somebody to help out, somebody to brainstorm with, and take a little bit of the stress off. So. Even though I made less in that situation, I think I would actually do that again. And you, you know, the benefit of the value of you having a business that you love doing is, and that's why we all do this, right? I mean, that's why, I mean, and, you know, Petra, I, I know you were like, unless you have the, the marketing that people just come up and say, hey, I'm your ideal client. That's it. That's intentionally what I've been trying to build. And you know, part the big part of my frustration during this whole process, because I'm a side hustler, I have, you know, I do the full time work or mostly full time work and then do this on the side. And it was very intentional for me to try to automate my marketing as much as possible. And I tell you, I could not have done it if I hadn't picked different like niche areas to focus on first off. That's just the, the biggest one. The second is being as helpful as possible. Like giving away your knowledge is another thing that the more that I do that about things that people care about, the more leads literally fall into my lap. So the, the, I have like, I don't know, 50 videos on YouTube now, maybe plus or minus a few. And I get all my leads from like four. Hmm. So now I'm redoing, you know, how I do YouTube videos to do more videos just like that. And you know, when I, when I focus, but that's been a big part. And because I do get those clients, what I'm able to do is, is, you know, when they say that I'm able to say, okay, well, here's a roadmap. The first roadmapping I did took me way more hours than it should have. I completely botched it. I'm, I'm surprised the client didn't ask for their money back. Honestly, just be like, I have no idea what this mess you're handing me is. And we ended up having to work through it for a while. Right. But that took me like six to eight months to get to the point where I had anywhere close to a regular stream of leads. Right. And it took iterating and doing all that kind of stuff. And this is where I have to, you know, I'm the new guy here. Like, I think I've been freelancing probably less than all you guys. So I could be way off. I'm not saying that this is the, the thing, but, you know, it's funny to me because I started this way. And so that pinch in the middle, I intentionally tried to avoid that. Like, it's kind of like ultimate fighting championship in all honesty, because like the old guys were good at like one thing. And like, there was like a kickboxer and he was good at kickboxing. Well, there's a shift in the UFC where everybody was good at everything all of a sudden because kids had been watching this their whole life and actually trained for all the different disciplines, right? And so I kind of feel like I got to take advantage of a bunch of people who had these things that they did really well, right? And I kind of combined them. So I can't take credit for any of this, but I intentionally tried to avoid that pain point of going from hourly to not hourly to kind of avoid some of those profit issues that you run into, right? Because that's, that's been the fun part for me. But ultimately, I think the most important thing that I want to make explicitly clear from my perspective is something that, you know, Joel and Petra both hit on, I think, which is, this is your, this is your business. Like freelancing is technically a business and you can run it more like a freelancer and not treat it as much like a business. And that's fine. And you can do, but 
But the key is to, to regularly check in with yourself and say, this is what I want out of my business and make sure you're heading towards that. I mean, I think we kind of all agree on that, right? Have you thought about making a career transition into data analytics? You should check out Springboard's data analytics career track. It's similar to an online data analytics bootcamp with the difference that a career track follows a project-based learning methodology where students work on real-life projects that employers are interested in. The program's 100% online, and each student is paired with a data analytics expert who provides unlimited one-on-one -on -one mentorship and support throughout the program via video conference calls. Springboard also offers job guarantees for all their career tracks. That means you don't have to pay for the program until you secure a new job in data analytics. Freelancer Show is exclusively offering a scholarship of $500 to interested applicants based in the U.S. or Canada. Make sure to use the code DASpringboard when you enroll. There are only 20 scholarships available, and scholarships are awarded on a first-come, first-served basis. Check if you qualify by applying at devchat.tv slash DAC. The application is free, and it takes 10 minutes. That's devchat.tv slash DAC. You said as well that you're intentionally avoiding, uh, in, in your business, you're intentionally avoiding that pinch in the middle. But in a way, you're not. Because you're moonlighting, you've got an hourly supplementing your business. So while your business portion is purely on the productized, you're not immune from it either. That's, that's a very good point. Because I, I am, it's, it's the equivalent of having a whale client, right? That's the situation yeah. that I'm in. So that's a good yeah. call out. Um, um, so I don't want, yeah. I, but I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying because if you design your business that way in the first place, then maybe you're avoiding some pain at the same time, there's still a transition that people are going through irrespective of how many experts you follow. I mean, we were discussing this just before we started recording that it doesn't matter how many books you read until a problem hits you in the face all of that theory doesn't, I mean, it's good to have that theory in your head and it's good to have some ideas for how to get around problems so that then they, they don't make you stuck, but there's still going to be problems that get you stuck. And, and also you, you touched on something that I thought was interesting. You were saying that you did 50 videos on YouTube and only four of them are really getting you the leads. And this is something that I've found personally really frustrating about marketing. I mean, I'm coming from a software development background where you, you, you plan what it is that you want your software to do. You implement it, you write the algorithm and it works. And, and then you've got this data passing from A to B and it pops out the other end and it's, you know, the data's functioning in the way that the software was supposed to. With marketing, it's not like that. <laughs> it drives you crazy because you have this idea of, okay, at the other end, I'm going to get leads. And I'm going to create all this marketing that's going to end up in leads. And then you're like, oh, great. I just spent like months or years of my life creating all this marketing and none of it's being seen. Most of it isn't working, but like 2% of it is <laughs> great. Let's do more of that 2%. So at least you've got a finding you can replicate, yeah. but it wasn't like a direct A to B. You certainly don't have that Occam's razor when it comes to marketing. It's, it's really messy. And yeah. um, I, I, I can laugh about that because I'm the type of person that likes having very structured things. 
but marketing isn't really like that at all because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with emotional people because people aren't handing over their money unless they've got a reason to. So they, yeah. they, they have to be feeling some kind of emotion about their current situation um, in order to be willing to hand over the money to have a problem fixed. So the marketing has to actually appeal to people that are experiencing those um, problems in the current time. And until you actually create a lot of it, you don't know which things are really hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. I think that that's fun. That's something that when, as I was thinking, as you said that, you know, you kind of went through this different kind of squish. I was thinking back to when I would like work myself to the bone and then my wife would get really mad at me and I wasn't spending time with my kids as much as I'd like to. And then like that happened for a little bit. And then I was like, Oh my gosh. And that was actually like a moment when I was like, I'm not doing this. Like, so, uh, if any, if there are people side hustling, this is what I would suggest. Uh, if you want to not do the hourly thing, make sure you're making two to three times your hourly rate, uh, at least from your side hustle, and then take half the time that you're, you know, take that half and just take your time off from your regular job and do the marketing, do the content building, do that. Don't try to do everything at once. It will burn you out like nobody's business. So I'm just, because that, I feel like that's been a, a major, was a major point in the, the prep doc as well that you sent out was, you know, this whole thing, it feels like you're just working, 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 like you're just adding even more. And we've made several jokes about it today, but your to-do list will get out of hand. We all know it if you let it. So I just keep that in mind. If you, if you do try to make the transition at some point or, you know, whatever that journey looks like for you, that's a, that's a very important column, I think. I checked out my backlog this week. It's funny because I'm in a period at the moment where I need to get new clients on board. And I've been, I've been at capacity just between the marketing and the implementation. I've been at capacity for such a long time. And so I would create the to-do list in my project management software and then I wouldn't get to everything and then I'd review it next week and I'd be like, mm, do I really need to do all those things? No, I'll put some of those on the backlog. So I've been putting things on the backlog, putting things on the backlog. And then this week I'm like, mm, I think it's time for me to look at that backlog. So I was looking at the backlog going, wow, all those things that I'd assigned myself a year ago, they all seem so like a lot of those need a review now because some of those things seem backward thinking because it was from before my last 12 months worth of insight. And as you learn new things about your clients, I think you do get a better insight into how to craft the marketing that's actually going to appeal to people. But there's certainly a process in getting there. And I think even the, even the experts, um, like Brad, you mentioned Jonathan Stark and you know, the number of people that used to be on this show, uh, I listened to a lot of episodes and even then they were describing that they'd gone through a, period where they were, uh, you know, working for clients doing implementation in order to build up the expertise so that then they could package and sell it well. So I don't think even, and even they were immune. It's, it's a process that we all go through for sure. I think that's such a classic is assuming you're going to have like unlimited time and you can make these to-do lists that just go on forever. 
I think that's just a problem that hits everybody. And I know one of our presidents had this saying he would try in his committees to get people. He's like, when you see trouble coming down the road, you got to realize nine times out of 10, it's going to go into the ditch before it gets to you. And so this idea that you will so over plan and put so many things on and your example, Petra, of looking at your list like three months later and realizing, oh my goodness, most of this at this point is not worth doing, even though it looks so valuable. It's, it's a really strange thing that looking ahead and anticipating problems doesn't always work in your best interests. Yeah. Um, I'm going to push us to picks cause I know we have a time crunch here. Um, so, um, I know we have a hard stop in a couple minutes, um, which is unfortunate because I think there's a lot more to discuss about this. But um, Brad, do you want to go ahead and uh, give us your picks? Sure thing. Yeah, so I saw this uh, this thing that Kai Davis put out about lead generation um, using uh, LinkedIn. And it is kind of a longer video. He teamed up with Jake Jorgovan of leadcookie.com. And, but the video itself, uh, whether you, you know, look at any of the other, they, they mentioned some products and stuff like that, but the video itself, even if you just do it manually at first and to try to, to ramp up some leads, um, you know, the, if you're going to experiment with any of this stuff, then I think you, you need to have a decent amount of leads coming in or have your lead gen in place anyway. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, and then there's another uh, tool that they mentioned that I've been using called Duck Soup. And uh, we talked about Scrabbin a few episodes ago uh, when we were um, doing the uh, SEM rush series and doing that kind of thing. And that tool has been really cool. Uh, Duck Soup is a little bit different flavor of it, so I thought I'd pick that. And then the, my last pick is a, a website called thanks.com, but it's actually spelled T-H-N-K-S. So um, check out the link. But it is a way to send like coffees to people or a meal or something like that. So if you have a client that you're meeting for a coffee break, you can actually just get on there, send them a coffee. And one of the cool features about it is if that person feels so inclined, they can take that gift and actually donate it to a charity of their choice if they would rather do that. So I just thought it was a really cool, really thoughtful service out there to like add an extra touch to your, your outreach. Um, and especially now, I mean, we're doing everything virtual. How are you going to buy somebody a coffee? This kind of solves that problem. So it is, it's been really cool. Um, but anyway, so those are my picks. That sounds really fun. Does it work yeah. internationally or is it just us? I think so, but that is a great question. I'm, I'll have to I'm test it out. typical American. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, something like I that. Assumed, I would imagine yeah. the logistics would be would be pretty tricky. But um, no, I'm I'm keen to check that out. That sounds really fun. Yeah, it's really cool. Petra, you want to uh, give your picks? Yeah. So my pick this week is a tool that I've been using for social media. It's called SmarterQ, and I quite like this one because it lets me load up a whole bunch of things onto social media and choose a posting plan. So it lets me uh, basically choose what times a day I'm going to post to which platforms and I can load them all up and I can set them to repeat or just post once or there's a whole bunch of different options in there and it's quite hands-off. It's a great automation tool. 
Cool. Yeah. Um, Joel, you want to go ahead? Yeah. Uh, so just kind of like everybody else right now, looking for ways to get out of the house and do something with ways to see friends that's uh, safe and allowed with the whole uh, virus distancing, social distancing, they're calling it up here. And so my pick this week is tennis. So I've got a friend who's pretty good and he's willing to just hang out with me and teach me the basics of tennis. So we've been going out, we're out in the sunshine and it's still early enough up here in Minnesota that only about half of the courts have the nets installed yet, but uh, you can still get out there and uh, practice your forehands, your backhands and, uh, and a few serves. So that's been a wonderful way to kind of break out of the winter, winter theme and get out of the house. Sounds good. If, uh, if you touch the ball, do you, do you guys have your own balls like like you know in golf where everyone has you know someone has a titleist and there's no real way to solve that problem oh okay all right i guess you're taking that risk that's probably fine who knows just wear a glove yeah, yeah wear a glove. that's right hand <laughs> sanitizer after I mean, every serve you're, you're six feet apart so you've got that down right that's right um, that's the one so, rule we are following yeah there you hey. go Petra, real quick, I did check on the availability, and Starbucks is available in Australia. So you can send somebody a Starbucks. I don't know how you feel about that, but some of the other ones are not. Oh, okay. Um, maybe that maybe Starbucks is in Sydney. We had a Starbucks here in Adelaide, and no one went to Starbucks, <laughs> so it shut down. Um, here in Adelaide, we we have a um a particularly bitter coffee preference, I believe. I'm actually not a coffee drinker, but we've got a lot of coffee shops and Starbucks was completely the wrong flavor for our local interests. So I didn't even know that Starbucks was still in Australia, to be honest, but it's probably in in Sydney, Victoria, maybe. Yeah. And uh, for my pick is uh, very serious um, and will help everyone's business. Greatly, it's um, West Tank is wrapping Fox and Socks by Dr. Seuss, um, and it's really entertaining. Uh, he raps over Dr. Dre's um, music, and uh, it's 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 very good. Um, and I know he, what he I'm doing after the books. call. Yeah, it's it's good listening. That's for sure. Um, it's fun. All right, I think that uh, wraps it up. Um, so. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Brooks out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.